This morning is January 14th, 2007. It is the year of Pastor Pirro's 31st birthday. <laughs> Brother Gary Kinchin's 66th birthday. This bowl of dirt is hurling around the sun and every year just gets better and better and better. This morning our message is going to be titled, A Different Drummer. Relax, Nick, we're not replacing you. <laughs> A Different Drummer. You ever see one of those old movies like Spartacus or something where they got the old guy in the slave galley and they're all rowing and his job is to help him keep time? Well, if you got one poor schmo over there and he's rowing and he's not in time, what's the expression? He might be walking to the beat of a different drummer, right? The world is walking to the beat of a drummer right now. All of them. Their actions may look different, but their motivations are all the same. Self, 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 self. That's what that drum beat is constantly. How can I get more? How can I obtain more? How can I keep what I have? Me, 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 me. See, I can't even beat that in time. Different drummer. <laughs> we have to learn how to walk to the beat of a different drummer than the world. When I spoke with you Wednesday night and I shared with you out of Ephesians, there are two clear spirits at work within the world. One is a spirit, spirit that is of disobedience. Ephesians 2 teaches us that we used to walk in submission to a spirit of disobedience. Well, if that spirit is disobedience, the other spirit that we have brings us into obedience. God is bringing everything on heaven, in heaven, on earth and under the earth in submission to one man, one head. In this one man, He's entrusted all judgment, all authority, all power, all dominion. He's above every title that can be given or ever will be given. And the Spirit is bringing us into submission to Him. This is why John 6.44 says, You cannot be saved unless the Spirit of the Father draws you. The Holy Spirit is drawing people into a place of submission to the man, Jesus, called the Anointed One, the Messiah, who is God over all forever to be praised. Amen. An apostle once said these words, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There is a drumbeat out there. It is the Holy Spirit, and He is showing us how to halakha, how to walk. It's not enough that we believe God. There is a certain way we are supposed to walk with God. This is our relationship with Him. And the Holy Spirit is crying out in your life your own personal drumbeat. But with the noise of the world, it's hard to hear. With the loud orchestra of drumbeats in your ear from the enemy, it can be hard to hear. So the Word tells us, set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above. When you tune a radio dial, the distance between stations is very small and your heart is no different. Have you noticed that your mouth can be fresh water speaking the glorious praises of God? You know, Adam, I love you. You are wonderful. You're an awesome human being, anointed of God. Two seconds later, somebody can have cut me off in traffic and I say, look at this idiot. No, I wouldn't say that, right? Well, maybe. Glad there's no tape recorder in Eric's car. How does that happen? Jesus said that there was a generation that was like people who the flute had been played for, but they didn't dance. Who the dirge had been played for, but they didn't mourn. They could not get in step with what was going on. Now, being somewhat rhythmically challenged, maybe even a whole lot rhythmically challenged. Okay, I have no rhythm. I know exactly what it is like for everybody else to know how to dance the tune and I have two left feet. But praise God, He's put something in me that helps me get in tune with Him. That if I will learn to listen to, I can walk this right. Though it's not natural to me, I can do it. So where do you think we're going to start in the Word this morning? Anybody have a guess? How did you know? Turn to Genesis 6. The Jews were very well acquainted with God's Spirit. In the first few verses of the book of Genesis, we hear that God is hovering over the waters. Jennifer Hall put a question online. She was astute enough to notice that why does it say the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters? Why doesn't it just say God? 
from the very beginning, God is introduced to us as a spirit. Something that cannot be contained. Something that cannot be boxed in. Something that cannot simply be pictured as an old man on a throne with a beard. God is bigger than you. He's almost uncomprehendable to you. Except in the life of the man Jesus. Except in His special revelation that He gives us. You have insight into His character in the law. You have understanding into His life and His nature that He has in the Word. In the man Jesus, you see the perfect reflection of God. This is what makes Jesus so precious to us. He's our only way to know and understand who the Father is. This is how Jesus boldly declares, no man comes to the Father except through Me. There is no way to understand Him, no way to see Him, no way to comprehend or take Him in except through Me. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Yeah, that was last week's message. Revealing the Father. Well, in Genesis 6, we learn something about God's Spirit. You all in Genesis 6 now? In Genesis 6, starting in the first verse, when men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, that word is sons of Elohim, it usually refers to angels in the Bible, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. We can all agree on that, right? A lot of beautiful women in this church today. There is nothing more beautiful than a woman who has godly peace in her life and has learned to smile because of joy. Ladies, I say it all the time, joking, but it's not really a joke. Give yourself a faith lift. It'll improve your looks immediately. Look at y'all. Y'all all smiling at pastor's corny jokes. So these women, they were beautiful. And the sons of God, it says, and they married any of them they chose. No real indication the women had a choice in this, is there? That's because this is rebellion to God. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all of the time. Hesiod was a Greek historian. He wrote that the Greek pantheon came into being when the gods came to the earth and cohabitated with women. And lesser gods were born. Heroes like Hercules that were supposed to be part god and part man are the myths that were created from this teaching. All of that is a perversion of something that really happened. Something that happened long ago before the Noahic flood where there was a defection in the heavenly realm and some kind of hybrid creatures that the Bible describes as fallen ones or Nephilim were created. As interesting as all that is, that's not our topic this morning. God looks at this situation and His heart is grieved and He says, My spirit shall not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. What does it mean to be mortal? means you die. He says, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. It's interesting to note that on that Bible timeline, and most scholars agree from the time God said this, it was about 120 years before the flood came. God looked at a situation and He said, My spirit will not contend with man forever. There's a series on TV right now called The Contender. What does it mean to contend? A slang word for it would be fight. That's right, Adam. In fact, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary says that it means to strive in rivalry, a contest, or against difficulties. To contend means that you're striving, or you're in rivalry, or you're in a contest with difficulties. It also can mean to strive in debate. It can mean simply to struggle for. We're told in the New Testament to contend for the faith. What do you think that means? Fight for the faith. So what does it mean when God says, My spirit will not contend, struggle with, fight, debate with man forever. He's mortal. Well, what happened right after this? I want you to understand that God's spirit is beating out a drumbeat for us to walk to. 
He is willing to work through resistance. That is called grace. It is called mercy. But there is a day where contention with God's Spirit brings swift judgment. Herod found this out. Ananias and Sapphira found this out. Stephen gives a speech in Acts 7 that he ends speaking to the leadership of Israel and he says, how long will you resist the Spirit of God? God's Spirit is beating out a drumbeat in our lives. Contention with His Spirit, struggling against it, acting as if it is a contest of wills, debating with it brings the swift judgment of God. Well, Eric, what is swift? I don't know. The Bible says some men's sins are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. Others, it trails behind them. Praise God that if you are in this place, it is because you have learned to yield to the Spirit and not contend only. Flesh counts for nothing, saints. The Spirit is the life. When we're talking about staying in step with the Spirit, I want you to understand that the Word says to be carnally minded, to walk to the beat of this world, is to be carnally minded, and Romans teaches us that brings death. The second time God's Spirit is mentioned in all of the Word is in Genesis 6, and His heart is grieved because man is fighting with Him. In what way was man fighting? Did they take up arms against God? No. Did they build towers yet to God in rebellion to Him? No. They simply did not obey the leading of His Spirit. They were contentious with Him. They contended with Him. And so He rained judgment upon them. But praise God, there was one man whose family was righteous. That man's faith saved eight people out of the human race and all, and God started again. How do you know that Noah was a spiritual man? The Bible doesn't say he was filled with the Spirit. The Bible doesn't say the Spirit was on him. The Bible doesn't say that the Spirit came upon him. How do you know that He was led by the Spirit if the Bible doesn't say it? He did exactly what God told Him to do. In the charismatic realm, we talk about being Spirit-led as a warm, fuzzy feeling. We talk about being Spirit-led as a prophecy that comes or a little dance that you do in worship. We talk about being spiritual as if it is shimmering lights in Casper the Ghost. Friends, all of those things may be spiritual, but not half as spiritual as being obedient to what God has told us to do. Running from one meeting to the next, speaking in other tongues and writing down every prophecy, excited hearing this speaker, then that, longing for worship, longing for entertainment, is not spiritual. Spiritual is doing what God tells us to do. If contention with God Contention with the Spirit of God brings judgment. What do you think that submission to God's Spirit brings? Life. Exaltation. God looks at people who exalt themselves and He contends with them. How do you think that turns out for them? Not good. He squashes them. But He looks at people that humble themselves and try to yield to His Spirit and He raises them up. That's good news, saints. That is good news. Because it's no longer dependent upon David's abilities. It's no longer dependent upon Keith or Patricia's ability. It's dependent upon your ability to hear the subtle drumbeat of God. You might even say the heartbeat, huh, Charlotte? I think that was her prophecy today. Turn with me to Genesis 41. I said, Preacher, how on earth can you teach on the baptism in the Holy Ghost from the Old Testament? How do you think the apostles got the revelation that they got? We look at the Spirit in the New Testament and we see the Spirit in some strange, mystical terms. The Spirit was the voice of God to these people. It was the nature of God. Isaiah describes Him in a very special way. We'll look at it in a minute. Are you all in Genesis 41? Steve's in Genesis 41. Who else is there? All right, amen. In Genesis 41, starting in verse 28... You know this story. Joseph is before Pharaoh. By the way, how has Joseph's life gone up to this point? Oh, yeah. He's accused of being a rapist. Was he a rapist? No. He was sold as a slave by enemies of God who were his brothers, who were called to do something for God. 
How excited do you think he was about that? How would you like to be a slave in a foreign land? You got there because your brothers sold you out. Then you're doing a good job there. You got your nose to the grindstone. You're trying to do what God has put before you each day to do. And now you're being called a rapist. Well, that was because you were sexually immoral. No! It was because you refused to be sexually immoral. How do you think you would feel? Probably not all that good, huh? And yet we serve a God who trust in Him will rise you above, raise you above your circumstances. Joseph is not depressed standing before Pharaoh. He is not there with a chip on his shoulder begging for reparations. I've been wronged! What about me? None of that. He is there as an ambassador of God, realizing that God works through His difficult circumstances to form something in Him. Come on, saints, there's a word there for you. If the world is pulling at the corners of your mouth, fight back. Smile. This guy had every reason to be down. He had every reason to think things were not going his way. He'd been in jail for some time now. Now he stands before Pharaoh. There's been a dream given him. And in verse 28 he says, It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Why do you think he was not scared to tell Pharaoh about a famine coming? I mean, Pharaoh was a powerful guy. could kill whoever he wanted to. Easy, easy, easy to prophesy good things. How hard is it to stand up and tell a man like Pharaoh, God says He's going to punish you with seven years of famine. Why do you think He was able to do that? Because Joseph considered himself dead already. Happened a long time ago when he was sold as a slave. How does he survive being accused of rape and it not being true and everyone believing that it's true and being falsely imprisoned? because Joseph died a long time ago. Why is Joseph alive now? He lives for whatever purpose God has in his life. And just like you, he didn't always know what it was. Thanks, I don't know what's offended you. I don't know what's hurt your feelings. I don't know what is trying to squash your faith. But you died a long time ago. It's time to live for the purpose of God in your life. And if you don't quite know what it is, if you don't quite understand, if He did not personally hand-deliver you the schematic, you're in good company. Requires a little trust, doesn't it? But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. When God is repeating a message in your life, it's because He's trying to get your attention. It's not because He's trying to punish you. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Wise man, right? Discerning man. He didn't ask for a tenth. He asked for 20%. We're not that wise. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. Pay attention to verse 38. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all of my people are to submit to your orders. I want you to hear this. When I say Joseph, you think Jesus. You got me? I say Joseph, you think Jesus. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, 
There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, the heavens. You shall be in charge of my people, us, or to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. There's a mystery there that sometime you should dig into. It's good. But what I wanted to point out to you is that Pharaoh saw something in Joseph. Joseph had been a slave. Joseph had been a rapist. Not really, but accused of that by reputation. Joseph had been imprisoned. There should not be much of Joseph to impress Pharaoh. He's royalty. He's king of the earth. But there was something inside of Joseph that he saw. This guy walked to the beat of a different drummer. He was not scared to tell Pharaoh the truth. He had died already and now he lived for one purpose. He heard the voice of God and he spoke only what he heard. So what did God do for him? He elevated him above all of the earth. He put him in charge of everything so that nobody, nobody in Egypt or outside of Egypt for that matter would eat except at the command of Joseph. Contention with God's Spirit brings judgment. Submission to God's Spirit brings an exalting. This is nowhere, never, not at any time in human history displayed better than in the life of Jesus. This is how He can submit. You remember Hebrew parallelism and Philippians? This is how He can submit, not by just becoming a man, but by becoming a servant. And not just a servant, but by even dying. And not just dying, dying on the cross. So God then exalts Him so that His name is above every name and so that everybody on the earth bows to Him. Do you understand? Contention with God will bring one thing in your life. Judgment. Submission in your life brings one thing. Exaltation. Next time we are reasoning with God, should I do this or should I not do this? This should factor in our reasoning. Should it not? Turn with me to Numbers. That would be a few books to the right. We're going to be in Numbers 11. Contention with God brings judgment. Submission to His Spirit brings exaltation. By the way, the story of Daniel is much the same as Joseph. Sold as a slave, brought to a foreign land, given a name of a foreign god. And yet in Daniel 5.14, his ruler looks right at him and says, is there anyone in whom the Spirit of God is like Daniel? So much so that the saying in Daniel's day was, are you as wise as Daniel? The Spirit of God will make you wise in every situation. It goes way beyond your circumstances and elevates you to God's purposes. Are you all in Numbers 11? In Numbers 11, there is a great hero of the faith named Moshe. Moses to those of us in the south. In the 16th verse, Moses begins to say something. He's burdened. He's upset. It's hard because his people are being rebellious. And in the 16th verse, the Lord says to Moshe, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as the leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. Isn't it good that we serve a God who will come down and speak with you there, wherever there is? Every other religion teaches that you climb the ladder up to God and He speaks with you. When you reach a stage of enlightenment, when you sit in the lotus position until the kingdom comes, then God meets with you. When you elevate your thinking, when you recognize the God within you, whatever the cults say, Lucifer, Ron Hubbard, or whoever else. They all teach a human attainment of God. We serve a God who will come down and speak with you there. I will come down and will speak with you there. And I will take of the Spirit that is on you and put that Spirit on them. They will carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. Skip down to the 24th verse where this is happening. Why was God distributing the Spirit among the leaders? So that they would be fit to carry a burden. In your flesh, every burden is too much. 
This is why we stand around coffee pots and we whine about how little sleep we got. This is why our greatest joy in life at some point is complaining about our medical ailments. Trying to compare who has it worse. God gave us the Spirit so that we would be able to handle the burden. That's why He gave you the Spirit. One of many reasons. How many of you in here would like to be counted among those that have the Spirit of God in them? All right, there's about 10% of the hands in here. So y'all must not have understood the question. How many people in here would like to be counted as having the Spirit of God? Almost everybody. Do we need to do that again, really? Y'all wake up. I don't have... There, there's nothing left of me. There's no, no more song, no more dance that I can do. This is an important message. Get it in you. If you want to be counted among those who have the Spirit... Handle the burden. Not complain about the burden. Not whine about the burden. Handle it. God is in you. How many of us have been enslaved by our brothers? Accused of rape and put in prison. Forgotten time and time again. Not visited. No relatives. No one cares. All alone. But the man handled the burden and God raised him up. Watch this. 24th verse. Is that where I told you to go? So Moshe went out and told the people that Yahweh had said, what Yahweh had said. He brought together 70 of the elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. You thought the transfiguration was the first time God had spoken to an anointed man from the cloud, huh? Mm. And he took of the Spirit that was on him and put the Spirit on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. How about that? We're going to find out that in the Older Testament, the Spirit moved on people. It was powerful. It was awesome. And then He seemed to leave them. And then He rested on them again, and they did something else, and then He seemed to leave them. John the Baptist was told to look for a specific man, the man on whom the Spirit rested and remained. Saints, we're supposed to be just like that man not floating in and out of the leading of the Spirit, but being led by the Spirit 100% of the time. Verse 26, However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad... That almost sounds like a joke, doesn't it? Eldad and Medad? All right, we'll move right on. ...had remained in the camp. Yo, Dad and Medad. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. If God says it, He doesn't need everyone to be obedient. He just needs you to be obedient. Moses did what God told him to do. Other people's lack of obedience did not affect God's plan for Moses' life. Have you ever sat around and whined about the church and they don't support your vision? They don't see your calling? Why does nobody understand? You do what God told you to do and He will take care of the rest. Eldad and me, Dad, didn't show up. <laughs> but God honored His Word. A young man ran out and told Moses, Eldad and me, Dad, are prophesying in the camp. That's got to mean something special in Hebrew. Nobody should be named Eldad and me, Dad. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since his youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, I want to talk to you about Moses' desire here. Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. Moses' desire was not that mankind contend with God and find judgment. Moses' desire was that all of mankind would find the heart of Joseph. His Spirit, God's Spirit, would rest upon them and they would be like prophets for God, hearing His Word, speaking His Word. Well, that's fantastic because a Jewish apostle named Peter quoted a Jewish prophet named Joel, about God's Spirit being poured out on all flesh. No longer just a king. No longer just an anointed leader. But every man, woman, and child could have the presence of God on them in a way that it remained. This is a special time in history, saints. You have revelation contained in these 66 books other generations didn't have access to. The question is, do we contend with the Spirit? Or do we yield 
to the Spirit. The very first thing that you have to do is begin to hear what the Spirit says. We have to learn that it is our responsibility to get before God and make judgments. Why was the Spirit given to these 70 people? So that they could shoulder a burden. The burden of God's work on earth. God did not give us His Holy Spirit to entertain us at charismatic meetings. He didn't give us His Holy Spirit so that you could dance a little faster. Speak a little more eloquently. He gave us His Holy Spirit to share in the burden of God's work. All of you said you wanted God's Spirit, right? You want to be counted in that. Shoulder the load. It's what you were built for. Let's move on. I think you got that. How about Deuteronomy? Is that okay? Can we talk to you from Deuteronomy? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The second giving of the law. In Deuteronomy, starting in 125, the second giving of the law is given at a time when Israel has been disobedient for some time period. They had spent much time in a desert learning to walk with God, letting the old guy die so that they might live a new life. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Mandy has been walking with Jesus a long time. And in her life, it has been a continual process of John the Baptist's prophecy. I must decrease that he might increase. As more is required, the burden increases. So what must also increase? Her submission to God's Spirit. And He will exalt her. Is that unique to Mandy? No, it'll work for Nick. It has been in the last year. It'll work for Craig and Charlotte. It has been. Most of their lives, but I've been a part of it a year. It works, saints. You can see it all around you. He's not asking for your trust in something that's not displayed before you every day. Telling on my brother David for a moment. He told me one time, Eric, as I looked around and I saw the struggles that were happening in my life and I examined the lives of others, and boy, I was starting to cock right away. I love David, but what I was getting ready for, because I thought I was going to hear a, a woe was me message. I was drawing back in the, the corners of my mind, loading the Word. He said, as I examine the lives of the people around me, I notice that there are lives that God can bless. The cocked hammer in the back of my head melted immediately. And I rejoiced with my brother because he got a revelation there. And it has blessed his life ever since. From that moment, I've seen a new hue in his face. seen a new glow around him. There are lives that God can bless. It's not about knowledge, saints. It's not about acceptance. It's about doing what God wants us to do. Getting in step with His Spirit. I've been watching you guys. I've been, I have a letter that I wrote to myself some time ago because Craig asked me to. <laughs> He said, brother, it was a good thing to do. long time ago in such and such place, we did this. It'll bless you. Sounded kind of corny, but I did it because I'm learning to listen to my friends. And what Craig told me to do blessed me because in this letter I wrote about my life then, what I wanted my life to be in a year, but most importantly, what I wanted from your lives. I couldn't wait a year because I'm an impatient man. So I opened it six months later. As I began to read about my prayer request in your lives, there was not one of them that had fallen to the ground. And I thought, my God, you catch every tear. You catch every tear. You collect every prayer and you hurl them to the earth and it has great effect. God is God over us. We have every reason to trust Him. Every reason to yield to His Spirit. What can we not do? What mountain can you not climb? Stack them up before me. We'll knock them all down. God and me together. Gave us that song you've seen, The Cross Before Me, The World Behind Me. That's an old hymn, isn't it? Doesn't sound like an old hymn when Gabe sings it, though. Sounds good. <laughs> Sorry if you like those old hymns. I do too. Y'all in Deuteronomy 1? 25. Take, take him with them some of the fruit of the Lamb. They brought it down to us and reported. It is a good Lamb that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in the tents and said, The Lord hates us. So He brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites and destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say, 
The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Those are descendants of the Nephilim. Then I said to you, Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. Yahweh, your Elohim, who is going before you will fight for you, as He did in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you. Do you think that they walked or they were literally carried? I think they walked. But in God's eyes, He carried them. As a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached the place. In spite of this, you did not trust or faith in Yahweh your God. Hear this about the nature of God. Who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and cloud by day to search out the places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. We serve a God who spent 40 years in a desert searching out the best places for Israel to camp, going ahead of them during the day and at night by way of His Spirit in a cloud and fire, showing them where they should go and what they should do. God wants us to walk with Him. The Bible opens up with Adam walking with God. When and where? In the cool of the day in the garden, right? Do you think that God is affected by heat? I mean, the supreme being that's created it all, He's burdened by heat, right? So why is He walking with Adam in the cool of the day? Because Adam is affected by heat. God cares about you. He's looking for the best place for you. We act like He's torturing us. God knows that I only make eleven eighty an hour. God knows that I only do... This. He has searched out the best places for you. And it just so happens sometimes the best place is in the desert because that's where you get to see that He is carrying you. When I was a little boy, my parents had the footprints in the sand in the bathroom. How many people have read that? Yeah, come on. How many have lived it? Oh, how about that? Hey. When you contend or fight with God's Spirit, you find judgment. When you submit to His Spirit, you find that He will exalt you. God's desire is that every man would have the permanent indwelling of the Spirit. Way back even under Moshe, that was his desire. God leads us by His Spirit, showing us the best places to go and the best things to do. Turn to Psalm 143. There was this obscure king in Israel around 1000 B.C. Most people don't know who he is. And he... uh, got into some sexual sin. And because of that, his life was forever affected. War following him constantly. Most people not spent much time studying him. He had children die because of his sin. Not just once as an immediate act, but later, even at his own soldier's hands. The kind of guy that you probably wouldn't want to pattern your life after. Except that he had learned one secret, and it made him be somebody that God said his very heart was like. This obscure king is King David. And this is his song, his prayer to God in Psalm 143. O Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. Everybody's walk with God starts in one place. A stunning revelation that you're not righteous, that you need His mercy. Sometimes your walk with God is supplemented with many different revelations of how badly you lack through the years. Because this gives you the opportunity to humble yourself and let Him exalt you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider 
what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like parched land. Dry places in our lives are to get us to reflect on what God has already done. To get our hands spread out before Him in in His presence, saying, My sponge is dry. I need water from you. This is parched. I need you to be my God, and I want to be your servant. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit or hell. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust or faith in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. What's he crying for? I'm in bad shape, Lord, and I need your help. I'm crying for you to show me which way I should go. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Make your good spirit lead me on level ground. Come on, saints. We need to be able to look at our lives and say, there have been valleys. There have been mountains. And in retrospect say, God's good Spirit led me on level ground. Your circumstances don't matter when you're following the leading of the King because He has searched out the best places for you. How many of you have experienced a job that you hated? None of you, right? Followed by a job that you could not have obtained if you did not previously have the job you hated. Come on now. So how many times then do we look and say, oh, God is good. He led me on level ground. I am so happy I got to suffer there for so long. No, we just say I'm blessed and we move on with little reflection. We contend with God's Spirit at every turn and depend upon mercy. I want to learn to recognize His workings. I want to submit to His mind working in the church, His Spirit working in my life so that I can see Him in the valley and call it level ground. Contention with Him brings more judgment than I need. (laughs) I want to submit to Him and get more exalting than I deserve. Teach me to do Your will, for You are my God. May Your good Spirit, Your good Spirit, lead me on level ground. For Your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In Your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. That's crying for salvation. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes. I am your servant. Let us not forget something, saints. He purchased you and you pledged yourself to Him. He cares. He cares. He's not hoping that Bobby's life shipwreck and crash. He's trying to lead Bobby into a place that he can be blessed and exalted. He's trying to show Bobby that his thirst can be quenched. He's trying to reach him. He's trying to reach us. This is the good Spirit leading us on level ground. And the funny thing about God is none of the ground behind you is level. None of it ahead of you is level. But He calls it level because you're walking with Him. David said it like this, You make my feet like the feet of a deer. I can walk on the high places. In other words, the problems are not difficult for me because I'm walking with you. Your Spirit teaches me to shoulder the load. Turn with me to Isaiah 11. Lots of Scripture, right? I arranged it all from left to right. The exact opposite of Hebrew. We should have started in Revelation and worked towards Genesis, right? Eldad and me, Dad, yeah. Eldad is God is loving. And me, Dad is affectionate. God is loving and God is affectionate. So loving and so affectionate that when you're not where you're supposed to be, He will still meet you there. (laughs) They were not in the assembly of the saints, and yet He still poured His Spirit on them. That's good stuff, Pira. Y'all in Isaiah 11? A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From His roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of Yahweh will rest on Him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and power. 
the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. We get so hung up sometimes on the description of the Godhead. We've divided our churches into little camps with nice, neat little doctrinal slave masters over us that fight with us. This has always been a fun one for me. The Holy Spirit here is described in seven different ways. And the New Testament is called the Spirit of the Father as well. He's also called the Spirit of Jesus. It's also called the Spirit of Righteousness, the Spirit of Holiness. Many different spirits, right? Because God is Spirit. And the number of descriptors to describe Him are not adequate in our language. But all of this that describes God is given for a purpose. Verse 3, And He will delight in fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what He sees with His eyes or decide by what He hears with His ears. But with righteousness He will judge the needy. With justice He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He goes on to describe a millennial reign. The man with the Spirit of God in whatever descriptive term that you use is able not only to shoulder the load, he has learned not to be led by his mere natural instincts. He doesn't look through his eyes and judge only by what he sees. He doesn't hear with his ears and make his decisions only by what he hears. There is a drumbeat in his life that is showing him what to do in every situation. How many times have you been in a situation and you were so sure somebody was trying to wrong you? Then later you found out they weren't even thinking about you. They just happened to have a dumb gaze on their face. Your eyes will lie to you. Your ears will lie to you. The Spirit of God is the voice of truth. He's also called the Spirit of truth. Saints, we must learn to make our decisions not based on natural instincts, but based on the Spirit working in our lives. Jesus said in John 7:24, Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. He was angry when He said it. He was doing good for people and it was being called evil. The good that He was doing was He set somebody free from a bondage on a Sabbath. And people that didn't understand the right way to walk with God, they knew what His law was but did not know how to walk within the Spirit that gave the law, that he's doing something bad. He said, would you stop looking with your eyes and ears and feel what the Spirit is saying? He wants to set people free. You're on your way to church and somebody's broken down and you're caught in a quandary. Do I stop and help them or do I go to church? Do I abide by the religious letter of the law or do I do what the law was trying to teach? Saints, it is not enough for us to make our own decisions. He has poured Himself into you precisely because you are incapable of making the right decision. We've all had Adam's disease. It should be in a book. You know, of all of the weird phobias and viruses and diseases that are named for people, Adam gave us the best. The inability to choose God's will when confronted with an alternative. But God has poured His Spirit into us so that we are able to shoulder the load. That's why He's there. He has dynamite power working within you. Turn with me to Corinthians, the second chapter. Pastor Piro, I fear I have taken too big of a bite here. How do you cover a topic like God's Spirit in an hour? That's right. My job is to introduce you to the steak. It's your job to eat it all week. Show you how to take the first bite of the elephant. In 1 Corinthians 2, are y'all relieved we're in the New Testament? These are like the cliff notes. You don't even have to think about it. He just tells you what it is. You have to look and understand, why would Moses say that? What is this a shadow and type of? How does this affect my life? In the New Testament, it just simply says, do this, don't do that. This is what it means. They got everything that they got right out of the Older Testament. Listen to Paul's wisdom and revelation as he writes. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. 
No, we speak of God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. You can stop there for a second. Your eyes haven't seen it. Your ears haven't heard it. Your mind can't conceive of it, right? But remember, we're not depending on what our eyes see. We're not depending on what our ears hear. We're not depending on only what our mind can conceive of. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in us and He can reveal things to us that goes way beyond what your eyes can see and your ears can hear. In fact, if you keep reading, that's exactly what Paul says. Verse 10, But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. How many of you have thought that the ways of God were unknowable? How many of you have ever said, Well, who can know it's all the mystery? Boy, you talk about giving up without a fight. God's Spirit is given to us for the purpose of revealing God's nature. Revealing His will. Why did He go ahead of them in the desert? To search out the very best places for Him to go. Why? Because He was going to keep it a secret from them? Because He didn't want to tell them? Because He said, hey, you're just too stupid to get it? No. He did that looking for a way to bless them. When you yield to His Spirit, He's looking for a way to exalt you. That's His purpose. God is revealing His very thoughts, His mind to us. Paul goes on to explain it. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Boy, you remember the Scripture in the King James, deep cries out to deep? There is a place down inside of you that the Bible calls deep. And there is a place in the center of God. And the two can communicate with each other because Jesus made a way. It's just our job to listen to that drumbeat instead of the loud one that's in the shallow waters like a shark roaring around, splashing, making a fuss, trying to keep you from knowing what's really important. Set your mind on things above. Set your heart on God. Press on towards heavenly things. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Why do you have the Holy Spirit? So that you will understand what God's giving you. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Have you ever wondered why you're sharing something that is a precious pearl that God has done in your life? And whoever's standing across the computer desk from you is looking at like a monkey staring at a gold brick. You know, has just no idea why this is important to you. You were so excited you lost your house because when you did, you found out what was really important and they're looking at you as if you were from Mars. The guy without the Spirit can't begin to comprehend the things that God does. That's the no eye has seen. That's the no mind has conceived, the no ear has heard. Guys, you're not in the dark. God has brought you in the light for the express purpose of you understanding all that God is, all that God does. The mysteries are being revealed. All that it requires is for you to search it out. We describe ourselves the other way because it feels better to be helpless. It takes all responsibility away from us. But when you realize the way that God's empowered you to shoulder the load and you have to take responsibility for being obedient to what He's revealing to you, it is hard. It's hard enough that the lost don't want to do it and they'll go to hell. But I think that the prize outweighs the hardship. And I want that with all of my life. So let's listen to what we're supposed to do. The man without the Spirit cannot accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. 
There is nothing in your life that the Spirit of God cannot and will not show you how to react to. Nothing. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. So Judah is a spiritual man. I'm a spiritual man. Judah hears from God about something that pertains to Judah's life. Now we're assuming Judah's like 45. Because while he's 9, Dad hears from God for him. So Judah's 45. He hears from God. It's not my right to make a judgment about that. Who knows whether he's heard that from God or not. Now I love him. I'll pray for him. I'll give him advice. I'll do whatever I can. But unless I've heard from God something that contradicts it, who am I? This is what it means when it says, you're not subject to any man's judgment. Now I want you to hear this. If you have not heard from God about a subject, you are most certainly subject to people's judgment. It's only when God Himself has revealed something to you that you have heard from the highest source and all other authority doesn't matter. This is why Peter and John can look at the governmental structure in their life and say, judge for yourself whether we should obey you rather than God. But if they hadn't heard that from God, they would have obeyed the authority. Read Romans 13. Isn't that balanced? The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I'm sorry, who was Christ again? Oh, that's right. He was that Jewish carpenter that we call Jesus who walked with God perfectly. You'd say He had a pretty good mind then, wouldn't you? And who has that? Oh, He took it with Him. He took it with Him to heaven. It's in a jar up there so that we can all go pay homage to it. No, He poured it out into you by way of His Spirit. So what can't you make a decision about? In what way can you not be led? Why should you be overburdened? You have all of the coping and reasoning skills that Jesus had available to Him in you. Every spiritual blessing, Ephesians said. In Corinthians, he said every spiritual gift. He says every and all an awful lot. I think he's trying to paint a picture for us. I wanted to read to you about John 3. But let me just tell you something that will be a jewel for you. On your paper, you should write John 3. Next to it, you should write Ecclesiastes 11, 5. Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, Hey, dude, I, you know, I just don't get what you're saying. You're telling me be born of the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus told him. You must be born of the Spirit. You must be born again. Nicodemus says, I don't get it. You know, can I really enter my mother's womb a second time? Jesus answers him with what seems like nonsense about the wind, right? Ah, the kingdom is like the wind. You know, you can't see where it goes or where it comes from. Read Ecclesiastes 11.5. It says, just as you don't understand how a body is formed in the womb and you don't understand the source of the wind, where it goes from or where it comes, you can't understand the makings or workings of God. The carnal mind will never get it. But to be born of a nature that is of the Spirit to throw aside that which is dying and cling to that which is eternal and say, Lord, when I make my decisions, they don't go well. So I'm asking that Your mind be present in me. I'm going to yield to what You tell me. That understands the working of God. That is born again. Turn with me to Ephesians quickly. First chapter. I read this to you Wednesday, but I feel like I need to say it again. We're going to go eat an unhealthy amount of barbecue and celebrate birthdays here soon. We will spend at least two hours in a restaurant our flesh. So what I'm asking for from you is seven or eight minutes to feed your spirit. I find out that whatever you feed the most tends to have the loudest voice. I don't want to read to you the whole chapter 1 of Ephesians. Actually, I do, but it just wouldn't be prudent. So we're going to start in the 11th verse. That's Ephesians 1, verse 11. If you're looking for Ephesians, you find the Pauline epistles and it's giants eat peas and carrots. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 11th verse. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Man, I'm having trouble not getting beyond that. God works out everything in the conformity with the purpose of His will. Horrible things happen. 
One horrible thing that's happening right now is the whole house is not sold as quickly as I would like it. That angers me. There are times that I really have to pray about it. I'm like, why? Why? I'm praying. I'm rebuking. I get hoarse. I do whatever it, you know, I can do. And yet, He works it out within the conformity of His will. I would like very much to not have any dental problems in any of my children or my wife. Right? And I'm going to pray and I'm going to fight and I'm going to do everything that I know how to do within the Word and then I'm going to smile and say it will work out in the conformity of His will. This is how you shoulder a burden in ministry. You realize that it's the Lord's purpose. It's the Lord's Spirit. And that your flesh is weak. And He will work it out in conformity with His will. But that's not what we're talking about. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, truth, the gospel of your salvation. Hear this. Having believed or trusted, you were marked in Him with a seal. Little mark put on you. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. If you contend with the Spirit, what do you get? Judgment. Right? You submit to the Spirit, what do you get? Exalted. Life. Right? He has given to you the Holy Spirit, the presence of God is in your life because when you submit to Him, He takes you on a continual road of being exalted until... You are redeemed with God, the highest place you can be exalted to. This is not a possession that is a deposit. I have the certificate. I have it. This is my stock. No, it is something inside you that guarantees that you're camping where God said to camp. You're moving when He said to move. So you don't need a law for your direction anymore, although it's great, reveals the character of God. What you need is to hear what the Spirit is telling you. Then you're not being judged by penalties in a law. You are being led by a Spirit that is leading you into life. You're not making decisions because something says, I will punish you if you do this. You're making decisions because the Spirit is showing you this is the way to be exalted with God and life. He's a deposit in that sense. Speaking in tongues is not enough. Prophesying, not enough. Read Matthew 7. He will prove that to you. What is enough? This thing that is in you, this wonderful personality that is the mind of Christ, will show you how to live in a way that will guarantee your inheritance. That is what the deposit is. In Galatians 5, so you'll flip back a book. Verse 16. No... Verse 13. Wow. You, my brothers, were not called to be free. I'm sorry. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law summed up how? Love your neighbor. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The sinful nature opposed to the Spirit of God. One of the fruits of the Spirit of God, he just said, is that He will cause you to love your neighbor as yourself, right? We're going to finish with this verse, but I need to tell you about Luke 10. In Luke 10, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You've heard me preach about this opportunity that God provided to turn the man around, right? I want to ask you something. I heard this the other day, and it's been rolling around in my spirit. Why do you think that when a man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he's literally descending an elevation, and it is also a type of him descending spiritually? It is actually physically a treacherous road, like a mountain pass. It was known in its day as a highway of blood because accidents occurred there. And there were all kind of neat places for robbers to be, to ambush you. Why do you think that the priest didn't stop? Why do you think the Levite didn't stop? They'd been trained. Why didn't they do it? Perhaps the priest or the Levite sees Bobby laying in a ditch on this road cross a little ravine, and he thinks, hmm, what will happen to me if I go over to help him? 
maybe the robbers are still close by. What will happen to me if I were to help him? I will be late on my journey. What will happen to me if I descend this cliff to go help him? I might fall or hurt myself. Living by the sinful nature always causes you to say, what will happen to me if I do thus and so? Living by the Spirit can be summed up in this way. You become more concerned with, what will happen to Bobby if I don't go? Instead of worrying about what happens to you if you do, you start worrying about what happens to them if I don't. You go back and read the sheep and goats teaching. You tell me that that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. The difference between a sheep and goat is those who did or did not do. Saints, we have to quit worrying about what happens to us if we're obedient to God and start thinking more about what happens to them if we're not. That's a life controlled by the Spirit. Let me finish reading Galatians and we quit. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Listen to these and think about how they gratify an individual. Sexual immorality. Is that about uh, me? Sure. Impurity? Yeah, it's all about me. Debauchery? Me. Idolatry? Me. Witchcraft? Me. Hatred? Me. Discord? Jealousy? Fits of rage? Selfish ambition? Is selfish ambition all about you? Sure. Envy, drunkenness, and orgies and the like. The selfish nature or the sinful nature is always concerned about what will happen to me. Think about this spiritual nature in a minute. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, when you're living as led by the Spirit, here's what shows up. Love. Is that about you? No, that's about the other person. Joy. Peace. Is peace about you? It's probably about your relationship with another person. Patience. You really have to be patient with yourself? Not very often. It has more to do with someone else, doesn't it? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. My whole goal in teaching this is that we would begin to see the benefit of walking in the Spirit. That we would count ourselves dead to our sinful nature. That in every situation we would quit thinking about what happens to me if I'm obedient and start thinking about what happens to them if I'm not. The God we serve wants to see widows taken care of, orphans taken care of, the oppressed liberated. He wants to see our faith, our trust in Him, put into action by being obedient to do the things that He does. That's what our lives need to be poured out in. Amen? Amen. Stand up and let's pray.